Well, in a moment, Gary is going to come and uh, deliver God's word to us. Uh, But before that, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace has given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, And uh, Peter's made my job a lot easier, so really I don't have to say much. Uh, He's done it. (laughs) Fortunately, I've got a few other... uh, bits, things that I'd like to uh, 
discuss. And it, it started, actually this has been on my heart for quite a while. And it was, I know that they have these three point sermons. I am not good at sermons. As if somebody was taught how to do sermons, you know, what, what's supposed to be the content and the, the argument and the conclusion, the beginning. And, but I really, really prayed about it. And I believe that sometimes we can be, we all want to be apologists. And I'm going to t- talk a bit, a bit about that this morning. Because it, again, it's something that's been on my heart. 50, 60 years ago in the church, apologetics was frowned upon. Now it's getting, it's out there. And I think the church again, we grow and we develop and we mature all the time. And we understand that it isn't either or. It's both. It's lots. We, we, we should, we need to learn to be more inclusive of everything. Proclamation. Works. Acting it, doing it, living the gospel. But also we need to tell people. Nobody will ever know if we don't tell them. And we need to persuade people. You think that's sometimes sounds a little bit negative, that. Persuade, hang on, you know. Bear with me. There's a lot, a lot, so many times persuasion and to persuade is written in the New Testament. That's Paul's job. He persuaded people with reasoning and logic and in the power of the Holy Spirit to, um, to proclaim the mystery We've heard it this morning. It is a mystery. The gospel's a mystery. How are we going to tell people who don't even want to know this mystery that, that we have got in our hearts? God's, God's put it in, in our hearts. And it, and it started that all the, the seeds of it, I suppose, I changed what I was going to do. On the very last, um, Bible study, I was able to go to one or two more than I thought, and I've been coming to Richard's one at the church. And we all shared, and uh, we studied these things that Rick Warren had to say. And one of my favorite verses was in the sixth week. And it's 1, 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. And if someone asks you about the Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in in a gentle and respectful way. And some of the people in our discussion group, after Rick had said all this on the, on his, the video, they, they, they all discussed it and said, yeah, yeah, all well and good, but how do you do it? It's easier said than done. That, that explaining it. And it made me think, yeah, he's kind of left something. Um, that I'd like to address, if I possibly can, in the faulting way I might do it, and a bit all over the place, but I'll try my best to keep it together, um, that we're able to do that, to, 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 to help people understand the hope that we have in us, in our hearts, and do it with gentleness and kindness and understanding. But that is what we're here for. We're here to tell people the good news. How you do that. Some people say you could just do it by the way you, you live. I believe that is a massive point. And if we're not doing it by the way we live, then we're best off not speaking about it because we will just look and be hypocrites. We've got to live it as well as talk it. it, it it's a, and it isn't easy. It isn't an easy thing. 
So, how do we do it? How do we do that? How do we buy into and execute that instruction that, that Peter was talking about? I'd say it, power, passion, and persuasion. And thanks very much to Peter this morning. We've gone into what power is. Now, it, thankfully, I couldn't believe it. All those different power. And I thought, it's going to come up, it's going to come up. It'll be the same image as well. No, and it didn't. So, and I, I put it to you that, that Peter wonderfully mentioned that as well right at the end. All that power really, indirectly or directly has come from God. It's God's universe. That is possibly one of the most vivid and persuasive images of what power is, what, what man can do in splitting an atom, a nuclear fusion. I don't quite understand it. I know it's powerful. And that pales into insignificance to the power of God. That is just nothing. That's a blip. Um, but it's still pretty powerful. And uh, in Romans, Romans 11, uh, 11.36, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. That's, that's, the, that's God's power. It, it's different. Going back uh, to Ephesians, just as a, as a reminder, uh, I'm, I'm reading this from the NLT. When I think of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength in the spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power, at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. How many times does he mention power? I mean, it's almost like uh, I was boring myself in the end. How many powers do you want? But Paul's obviously written, it was nothing was not intentional. And that's another thing I want to, to bring into what I'm saying about, I hope this is practical. We need to be intentional with what we do, with our witness, with our lives. You can call it what you will, witnessing testimonies, talking, apologetics, doing good things, being present for people who are suffering and hurting. All those things can only be done if we're intentional about them. And we need the power as again, Peter's pointed out so wonderfully this morning, that power comes from God. If I nearly brought one, I thought, oh, I'm not that good at stuff. It all goes pear-shaped when I try and do it. I was going to bring a toaster in and put some bread in it. And then a few minutes later, nothing happening. Ridiculous point. But if it's not plugged in, you can wait till the cows come out. You're not going to get a slice of toast. 
because it's not plugged into the power. If we're not plugged in, in that sense, very irreverent sense, but if we're not plugged into God's power, nothing's going to happen. Seriously. No matter how wonderful we are, no matter how kind, how generous, how loving, how forgiving, if there's no power, people aren't interested. I remember years and years ago, probably 40 years ago, I started to go to church because I saw something. And I saw something of some power. Something was happening. People's lives were changing. It wasn't just dead. It wasn't just intellectual curiosity. It was real. Two Corinthians thirteen three and four. I will give you all the proof that you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful among you. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive in him and we will have God's power. It's a big deal. It isn't nothing. It's a quite a big deal. And, and Paul reiterates that all the time when he's talking to the churches, whether it's Rome, Ephesus, Corinth. He's talking about God's power. There's counterfeit powers. There's rubbish powers. There's powers that can destroy and mess up like the atomic bomb. They did drop it, didn't they? Dropped it twice. And what a mess that was. You know, we're, sometimes we're not fit for power. Got to be very careful. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. I want to experience, I do to a degree, experience that mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead because I am born again. I am regenerate. I am not the same as I was before I came to Jesus, before I confessed my sins, before I bowed down before him, before I pleaded to him to do something with my broken life, I was powerless. But I can experience God's power firsthand. Nobody can take that away from me. They can't say I'm making it up. I've experienced it. Hallelujah. It's just so wonderful. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's what we need. We need God's power. We need to ask him. We need to, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We need to get on our knees. We need to pray collectively. We need to pray on our own. We need to read the word and we need to say, God, pour out your Holy Ghost power in me so I can be effective in what I do. Whether that's working in the prison, whether it's doing a soup kitchen, whether it's doing your own job at home, whether it's being a mum and looking after children, whatever it is, you still need that power. And people can see it in you. They can see you not snapping when you get annoyed because you've got the power of God to withhold, to, to subdue that old nature that's always in us and it makes us better people. I'm not a very passionate person, as you can tell, I... Uh, I, uh, I'm a bit of a wallflower when it comes to things, especially God and the gospel and Jesus and things like that. But seriously, I have been to a few meetings. I've been to some things where I remember going to a lecture at university at, at Lancaster once. And this guy who was a professor of, forget what it was, it must have been political philosophy or something like that. Very, very clever man, very interesting. But when he stood up, 
he just basically read from his own book. Like that, just deadpan, monotone, boring. Nearly everyone was asleep. And yet the subject he was talking about was unbelievably interesting. But there was no passion in him. He'd done it so many times. He'd lost his, his love, his first love. He'd lost the love for his own work, his own study. And he, and he was a really interesting man. But when I went to that lecture, I was bored. Now, if we're not passionate, oh, <laughs> and as if by magic, that's, uh, I looked on Google Images for passion, and it's a really difficult one to express in one image, passion. But I think you get the idea. I think that woman is quite passionate about playing that violin. That's quite an amazing image. Uh, and if it is that, I know there's a, Ch- there's a Chinese uh, violin player, uh, very famous, brilliant. I've listened to her. It brings tears to your eyes. That, that's passion. When I was, uh, Pity's Rich is not here, but, and I was like, oh, it's in Michael here, yeah. That football fans, Barbara's here. They get passionate, don't they? I was going to show an image of football fans, but I just so much don't like football that it, it would offend me to have it up there. And all that ador- adoration on the faces and the passion, the bouncing up and down and the screaming and the, the passionate, utterly passionate about their team, about 22 men kicking a bag of wind around a field into bits of string. I mean, for goodness sake. I just do not get it. Sorry for all you football fans, but I never have got it. And and I have mellowed, trust me, I've mellowed. I tried to bring my son up to hate football. He supports United. So I'm not, not very good at bringing my son up. But, um, but we need to be passionate. And we need to be passionate about God's word and about what we're doing. And going back to that, f- that first scripture... We, we to, to be able to give an account of that hope that we have. If we don't do it with, with passion, again, people won't be interested. They're just not. And you can't turn passion on. You either are or you aren't. And if you want to be, I suggest you get to know the person that you're going to be passionate about. And there's only one way of doing that, and that's reading the word. The more I read God's word, the more passionate I get. Because when we read that scripture again, I must have read that 20 times in the last week. And I heard it this morning, it made me cry. Because God has put a passion in me for his word. It's two-way. There's a passion there. And that isn't, I can't make that up. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't make it up. It's there. I am passionate about uh, about God's word, about the gospel. It helps us. It does things. The, the picture of um, of uh, the lady who broke the alabaster jar. don't know whether it was a Mary or... Was it Mary? Yeah, Mary. She broke the alabaster jar, didn't she? That was possibly worth a heck of a lot of money. Was it say... She had done what she could. She... She has come aforehand, this is from the AV, she has, she has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body in the burying. Mary loved Jesus so much that she gave all she had. She didn't pour out a little perfume to anoint him, like a little drop. She gave it all. She broke it and covered him in it. She couldn't put that perfume back in the bottle. 
She'd broken it. Maybe it was her inheritance. She didn't hold back for a rainy day or a retirement. She broke the whole thing and gave it to Jesus. Does that speak to your heart as it does to mine? Are we willing to break the alabaster box and pour out the oil of thanksgiving, of gratitude to God? I pray that God will enable us all to have that passion uh, that Mary had. And more, and more. We need more and more and more. Isaiah 9, 7. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army will make this happen. Hallelujah. Jesus is passionate. There's never been a more passionate man. The passion. Why do we call it the passion? I still don't, actually, I've not researched it and looked it up, but I know they call Easter time the passion. The whole story is the passion. And that's got to have been done out of compassion and with a passion that leads to death, that leads to the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus gave everything. He gave up heaven. He came down, God Almighty, God incarnate, as a baby, lived a life of 30, 33 years before he was crucified and then gave everything up. And God the Father turned his face away from Jesus because he took all the sin of the world on us. We will never, ever be- understand that, the depth of the passion and the love that Jesus has given towards us. But we need to. Just because we'll never do it, it says be perfect. And I know in a lot of translations that means be complete, perfect. Something that's complete is perfect. And we need to be perfect and complete in Jesus to go out and do what we need to do um, with with the Lord's gospel. What are we passionate about? I mentioned football. Hey, and all these things are legitimate. We should be passionate. We should be passionate about all the things that we do. We should be passionate about our work. If we're not, we won't do it well. Quite sure Peter is passionate. Quite sure Steve is passionate about what we, what we, well, what we do. Suzanne will be passionate. When we do the jobs that we do, even if it's a mundane job, we should be passionate because we'll get more benefit out of it. And it's, it's a, it's the way God wants us to be. It's part of good living is to be like that. All this leads us to persuasion. I'm keeping this together. I can't believe it. Um, I thought you would all be here to about half twelve. Uh, persuasion. It's a... The Bible itself will help help me better here. Acts 17, 3 and 4. In fact, the whole of Acts, if you think about it, or the good half of Acts when it's talking about Paul's journeys. He persuaded people. That was his job. He set out to persuade people by talking to them, to the Jews and the Gentiles, but he persuaded them. He explained the prophecies, and this is Acts 17, 3, 4. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. 
So he actually, he, he did what he set out to do as well. He didn't only try to persuade them. He says they were persuaded in what Paul had said. Go back, right back to the, the beginning of what I wanted to talk about. Always be ready to give an account for that hope. How can we be ready? We need to be full of the word. We need to be soaked in God's word. In the power of the Holy Spirit and passionately tell others about it. But we won't be prepared. We won't be able to do it. We'll fail. If I hadn't looked at anything at all and just thought, mm, I'll get something together. God, God will give me something, you know. I'll just stand up there and because God loves me so much, he'll just wallop some Holy Ghost power in our, our word. What a load of rubbish. I would have looked like a complete fool. It had been embarrassing. I would, have, I would not have glorified God and I would have robbed you guys of, of something worth listening to. We've got to prepare. We need to, to, to read the word. Seriously read it. I know Richard has tried. I, give, I think that's one of Richard's best points. He has tried and struggled to get us to engage with our Bibles. I mean, notice sometimes he doesn't put it on the overhead. He, doesn't, he just won't put it on it. He wants us to have a Bible and to open it. It is a good thing. It's seriously, it sounds almost like, how oh, outdated, you know, with my iPhone. And, uh, but he does, it is a good thing to open up a Bible and read it. Start reading it. And then don't just read it. Read it questioningly. You, you, do you think you could embarrass God or ask him a question that he couldn't answer? God doesn't mind you questioning him and doubting him. We all doubt, we all question, we all want to know things that we don't know. It is a mystery. The gospel is a mystery. On Mars Hill, what did Paul do on Mars Hill? He used the culture. He used what they were. He went to the seat of world culture, probably at that time, Western culture. They were clever men. There were Stoics and Epicureans. They, they, they had completely opposing philosophical views. But Paul knew what he was talking about. He was, he was prepared. He knew the Greek culture, the Greco-Roman culture. And he was prepared to use that. We need to engage, which again, going back to the last series of the Lent course, we need to engage with the culture that we're in. We need to engage with people at work our neighbours, our family. We need to know what they know, like even football. There, there will be foot, Christian football ministry. Nick is not here this morning, is he? Nick, um, what's his? Stan, standard. Stratton, Nick Stratton. He's a, a biker. But there's a Christian biker club. So the, 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 wherever you are, there will be Christian fellowships. But not only that, we should get into where there are no Christians. We can't witness to people if we're not there with people who aren't non, who are, are non-Christians. Again, Rick Warren mentioned this. Um, it's no good. We, we can live in a bubble. A Christian bubble. It's a lovely bubble. It's a comfortable bubble. It's an exciting bubble. But it's still a bubble. We need to get out and tell people who don't know God at all and who don't want to know God at all that he's worth knowing. And actually, he's the only one that makes sense. There is no sense in this world outside of Jesus and God. 
seriously. I've, I've read, I can highly recommend, if you do want to get into apologetics and stuff like that, it's not really, it's Oz Guinness. Have you heard of Oz Guinness? He's from the Guinness family. He's an apologist, a theologian, lovely Christian man. Um, and there's another guy, uh, I read this about a year ago, I think I read that a year ago, uh, Peter May, God and the path and the path to persuasion. We do need to engage logically and reasoningly with the people who live in this world. We, we can't just say, oh, God says. And, or rely that the Holy Spirit will give you the power to say something or the words to say something. You have, need to have something to say, something interesting to say, something relevant to say, and something that includes the gospel. When Paul spoke to Agrippa, this, I just love this, <laughs> Acts twenty-six twenty-eight. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? <laughs> That's what Paul was actually doing, but he was doing it. He was having an effect. He was talking in such a reasoning up-to-date, spirit-filled manner that Agrippa was actually saying, hang on, hang on, hang on a bit. If we're prepared, if we're familiar with God's word and filled with his spirit, we will be able to give an account of that hope. 2 Corinthians 10. It says, Paul defends his authority. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness, goes right back to Peter, how we should offer that hope, how we should be ready, always ready to give an account. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ, though I realise you think I'm timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. I am begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who, th who think we act from human motives. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. It's pretty powerful stuff, that, really, isn't it? And that's what Paul's saying we should do. Knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to say. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That's what I want to do. I want to capture people's thoughts and teach them to obey the Lord. Hallelujah. Because disciples aren't converts. That's kind of a, I don't know, it's a weird thing. Disciples are disciples. They may, we are to go out into the other world and make disciples. Not just tell somebody that God's good, and then clear off. It's a lifetime's job. You stay with that person, you, if you can. You witness to that person. You be, become an encourager for that person. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. It's a bit heavy, Paul, but hey, lived in a heavy time. Right, I won't keep you. I'll, I'll just mention, and I couldn't believe how... The Holy Spirit is definitely, has helped me this morning. I know that, whether you guys know it or not. I can feel his presence. When 
that that was so in sync with what I wanted to say. Peter at one point mentioned fluency. I think it was when he was praying. I think when he prayed, he prayed that I'd be fluent in what I... Now, Peter has not seen... I I didn't even see the order of service until 20 past 10. About gospel fluency. Fluency means the ability to speak a language easily and effectively. That's just a dictionary definition. This is gospel fluency. Even if they want to, many Christians find it hard to talk to others about Jesus. It is possible this difficulty is because we're trying to speak a language a language we haven't actually spent time practicing. To become fluent in a new language, you must immerse yourself in it until you actually start to think about life through it. I lived in France for about 14 months and I could get by, um, not that brilliantly, but I couldn't converse. And I met a Dutch couple, um, the Dutch are they, they seem to be multilingual, all of them, hate them. And um, Monique and Dr. Bream, both of them could speak six languages fluently. They could dream in that language. And when they were talking to her, there was a German, an Italian, French, English, and Dutch. They were bouncing in between the languages of each person's language. And my jaw just dropped. I could not believe how they could do it. They were just brilliant. I was in, I was awestruck. You know, they, amazing. To become fluent in a new language, you must immerse yourself in it until you actually start to think about life through it. Becoming fluent in the gospel happens the same way. After believing it, we have to intentionally rehearse it to ourselves and to others and immerse ourselves in its truths. Only then will we start to see how everything in our lives, from the mundane to the magnificent, is transformed by the hope of the gospel. That's uh, written by a guy called Paul van der Stelt. Never heard of him. And I don't even know where I got it from. <laughs> Other than God gave it me. Uh, I seriously don't know where that came from. I had it written, I had it written down just the quote. And I thought, well, because I can't, it's called plagiarism, isn't it? You can't just go around, uh, Pretending you've said it. I think you'd all know that I hadn't said that. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but, but that's it. So, Paul van der Stelt, another one. I, I'll be probably getting a book that he's written because I want to read. I am very interested in that. I want to become fluent in the gospel. I don't want to speak my pidgin French in the gospel. Pidgin gospel. Well, yeah, Jesus loves you. Right, yeah, cheers, yeah, bye, yeah. Why, why do you go to church? Because it's good. And the people are all right. And then walk away. Some people may be at that. If you've only just become a Christian, you may be at that position. I'm not um, in any way belittling that position you may be in Christ, in, in, the, in the Lord at the moment. When I went to Sharon Church um, 40 odd years ago, and people used to give testimonies. Young people would get up and say, yeah, yeah, I used to be a member of a gang and I did this and that, and then I got saved. And then they walk off, off the platform like that, you think. 
they haven't been taught to. <laughs> but they, they didn't know any different. It, it was, they were brand new. They didn't know. And it does take, the, the brilliant thing about being a Christian is it does get better. And better and better and better and better and better. You get stronger and stronger and stronger. You get more power and more passion. And we will be able to persuade. I was going to show a, a video that, if you thankful I haven't, and I even don't know whether I mentioned it to Richard. But this, my daughter gave me two DVDs called The Holy Ghost and The Holy Ghost Reborn. Um, I have never watched quite anything quite as wacky as flaky, but as brilliant in my life. I've never seen anything like the power of the Holy Spirit operating through these Americans who go all over the world and do the most outrageous things. And that's what God wants us to do. Perhaps we'll never get to the point where we'll do what these guys are doing because of our age, where we live, just the culture that we live in, everything. But... We should still hope to do it, want to do it, aspire to do it. We need to be powerful. And we need to be passionate. And we need to persuade people. Hallelujah. That's it. I just hope you... I hope it has been. My my whole reason to do to speak today was to encourage and perhaps facilitate something that perhaps some people are struggling with in witness in when they talk to people and that can be in the apologetic sense it can be the witnessing and sense it can be whatever it doesn't matter it's just that we are doing it it can come in many different guises so thank you um and i think we and, and i think we're going to sing